no matter what, we are family. And so I'm waiting for that moment where we're going to tell this old bully, the devil, like, go away. We are standing as the body of believers. We're going to fight in the name of Jesus. And there is nothing, there's no one worth sacrificing the unity, um, God's people being one, the family of God. And he said he's coming back for this church that doesn't have a spot or wrinkle. He's coming back for this, the one church. Welcome to the Christian Music Archive podcast, conversations about Christ, community, and music. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. One of the things I love about doing this podcast is hearing from you, the listeners. You share stories of how music has impacted your life. You share prayer requests, and, and I love that. Hopefully you know by now that my focus in doing this podcast is not only to highlight great music, but is also to try to help build community. And when you send in a shout-out on social media or drop me an email, I feel like we are doing a small part in building community. So keep those messages coming. You can reach me on all of the regular social media platforms by looking for at CCM Exchange. You'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. Just search for at CCM Exchange. Oh yeah, you can also drop me an email through the website too, christianmusicarchive.com. And thanks for being a part of this little community. You all know that I listen to a lot of music, and I hear all kinds of styles and abilities. And of all of the singers I've heard, there are a small handful of people that every time I hear their voice, I stop and just soak in the music. I close my eyes and just bask in the excellence. Singers like Matthew Ward, Russ Taff, and Ashley Cleveland, who, quite frankly, they could sing the dictionary and I'd probably buy that album. My short list of favorite vocalists also includes a pair of siblings, one of whom is my guest today. Linda Randall is a singer who can sing, and Obviously, I'm not alone in that assessment. Gladys Knight, Billy Graham, Andre Crouch, and Bill Gaither have all asked to work with Linda. Linda is a Dove Award winner and, oh yeah, a passionate child of God who loves talking about the difference God makes in her life. So I'm excited to welcome to the Christian Music Archive podcast, Linda Randall. Welcome. Well, hello, Dave. How are you, my new best friend that I hear? That's really cool. <laughs> it's good to be here with you. Well, thank you for joining us. Well, you know, in, in preparing for our chat today, I thought I'd just kind of check out your bio, and I was impressed with uh, the fact that you shared STEM stages with people like Billy Graham and Andre Crouch and Gladys Knight, and those were some pretty big stages. So let's start out with, do you have a highlight uh, of your career so far where even when you look back, you kind of pinch yourself and say, my goodness, was that really me? Well, you know what? It's, um, I'm just always wowed and awed by like just the things that God does in spite of us and the, the ways that he's blessed us. But I think, you know, I, I would say, I would have to say it would be the Billy Graham crusades because I had prayed Dave since my college days 
um, for that opportunity. And I have to tell you, this is a really, really neat story. I remember, um, and when I say Dr. Falwell, people, if you hate him or love him, don't hold that against me or either way. Um, he put <laughs> my brother and I through college and I'm thankful for that. Right. And, but I remember he would be in chapel and I, I, I loved, um, just being there, that was many, many years ago now, but, and he would say, he would quote D.L. Moody, the world has yet to see what God can do for one man who's totally surrendered to him. And I remember when I would hear that quote from time to time in chapel service, I would bow my head just in case God, you know, forgot that I was a woman <laughs> something. So I would, when he would say, God has yet to see, you know, the world has yet to see what God can do with one man. I would just kind of whisper and I would say, one woman, you know, yeah. because in my heart I had been praying for certain things. And I have this thing where I don't, you know, try to make waves and put myself anywhere. I'm what, I want God to open the doors. And so I was praying for many, 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 many years, like over 21 plus years when I received the call that I was invited to do my first Billy Graham uh, crusade. And what was amazing about that is about a year prior to that call coming for me, I had received a call on behalf of my brother, Michael, who's the, now the lead singer of Newsboys was right. back then with DC Talk. And it was somebody from the, the Grand Crusade trying to reach my brother to invite him or something, whatever. <laughs> and part of me, the enemy, would like, I feel like, they, like there was a little, a little something on my shoulder, like demon, devil, whatever you want to call it, says, <laughs> this, is, this is your chance to tell them there's still a son, there's still a daughter in Jesse's house. Like, then, you know, it's like, don't forget yeah. me. And, and, and the Holy Spirit said, nah, you just go on and give him your brother's number. You just keep quiet. And about a year later, God allowed that to be. And I got to do another one and then Franklin Graham Crusades. And so that for me has to be like the biggest in terms of like God did this. Um, and being with Andre Crouch at um, Carnegie Hall was, was amazing. With Gladys Knight, not when I say being on the actual stage with her, I got to open for her, she was at um, the Royal Stadium in Kansas City, Missouri, and I got to sing about three songs prior her being there, plus the anthem. And you know, I didn't even go near her dressing room or hug and love and nothing. I was just very like, I'm here to do what I'm doing, and I'm blessed that we get to share the same night together. Yeah. So that's pretty. That's pretty god awesome. That's all I can say. Yeah. Yes. Well, obviously, you just didn't start. Just decide to start singing and say, hey, Mr. Graham, uh, why don't you bring me onto your stage? So you obviously got started somewhere. How did you actually get started singing? Because I know you were born into a, into a church family and they're singing yeah. in church, but how did you yeah. decide to make this your thing? Well, you know, it was really, um, yeah, you're right, because growing up in a church family and traditionally in the, in the black church, not everybody can sing and all that kind of stuff, but for the most part, you know, one of the things we're known for um, is our is our music and even our yeah. the preaching styles and everything and the way we you know communicate with that that kind of energy and all that kind of stuff. And so it was probably I was probably quite young, but I would say fifteen, sixteen in the choir, Dave. And and I remember I was just sharing with my assistant um, Regina how I was kind of made to sing a certain way. I didn't have the whole you know, the gospel vocal run gymnastics. I yeah. sang with a, 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 the soul of my heart and my spirit, but it just didn't have all that, you know, and I just did the best I could. Never thought I would be in it for 
all of this part of my life. And I was going into fashion designing and cosmetology. I love making clothes and doing hair. I was really gifted there. But I fell the ninth grade with 32 Fs, like 33, two, oh. like Fs. And uh, as in Frank, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I was put in a Christian school that was life changing on so many levels. It was a predominantly white Christian school and coming from a predominantly black, mm-hmm. you know, neighborhood and environment and culture. It was different to, to, you know, that's the understatement. And then I was um, looking for some of the other classes that I was interested in and they didn't have them. So they put me in the choir and they started doing all of these Negro spirituals and things like that. And I was literally the only person of color in the oh, choir. I kept getting all these leads and things <laughs> and stuff. And so um, God really used that, Dave, in, in ways that, like, I look back. That's another one of those things. Like, God, I would have never been the bridge builder that you've allowed me to be mm. today had that not happened. And so then I get put in this school, and then God blesses that. Then I'm at Liberty University and I started just singing all over the place. And that's where it just pretty much exploded. And I was singing initially in the beginning for myself. Um, It was all vanity. There was nothing super spiritual about it, if you had asked me. Um, And then one of my dearest friends uh, during college, my college years, Joyce, never forget this. She sat me down on my dorm room bed and she said, Linda Tate. You are the cockiest, most conceited person I've ever known. I've ever, and she told me off and it was the best telling off, Dave. Um, I love Proverbs. Uh, I don't have the actual reference in my head, but it says faithful of the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And she told me things that I I really wasn't aware of to the extent, you know, (laughs) that she shared them and. It was life changing. And then I literally got on my dorm room, you know, in my, my, my bed and my knees. And I said, Lord, you know what? It doesn't matter to me if I'm the greatest gospel singer ever or not. As much as it is, I want your anointing upon my life. Amen. And I have never looked back. It's all been like, God, this is, this is, for, this is for you, you know? And yeah. so it's, it's amazing what he's done. It's so amazing. Well, as you alluded to earlier, you have a little brother who sings yes. okay. Um, he's yeah, all right. Kind of cool. yeah. <laughs> what kind of competition did you guys have growing up singing? You know what? I would say none because here's the thing. He told me this like probably over the past, he shared with me maybe a few years back, which I was so unaware of, Dave. He said he was as envious of me as I guess, you know, let's see. I, I can't even think of an analogy right now because he said, Linda, I was like, so jealous. I said, Michael, are you kidding me? I said, well, why? I said, I never, ever flaunted anything. He said, and the thing is, when he started singing, um, when he got to college, I would take him with me, Dave, to the churches that I would do on the weekends. I would have him sing. I would have him share. I was so proud of him. I celebrated him. I encouraged him. Never once I thought, I better do better than him, you know, in that regard. And he said, I was so jealous. He said, you would come home from your events and dad would ask you how many 
you know, like what happened and you would tell him and then he would say, well, did you sell any cassette tapes, cassette tapes? Right, right. And I would go, oh yeah, dad, you know, Lord. And he was like, I just, I just saw all of this. And, and he said initially his was definitely fame and, you know, wanting all the material things. And so that's kind of what his battle and struggle was, but no, I, I'm not competitive that way and that. And so, but it's funny because, you know, we, now we are the best of friends. We have uh, five other siblings, two are with the Lord, and mm. five out of seven sang, but only two, my brother and I, um, we were uh, we're just blessed to do it, you know, full time or yeah. professionally, as we say. But yeah, but we're we're really really close. And as a matter of fact, at the time of this um, time that we have together now, I'm at, sitting at his table here in oh. Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so okay. we're hanging out. <laughs> so there wasn't as much competition as much as a big sister pride of my little baby brothers doing such amazing stuff. You know, I'm no, I'm just so I I talked about him so much, Dave, like he was my child. Like uh-huh. I'm, I've got him by four years and I would just be like, do you guys know DC Talk? Have you heard DC Talk? And even to this day, when we were on the Gaither tour and people would come up to the table and they were younger, I would say, well, have you ever heard of Newsboys? Have you heard of DC Talk? And there were some people who had, but yeah. some people in the Southern Gospel community um, had not. And I always tell people like, I, you know, I sing a couple of Southern gospel songs, but I'm a gospel singer. Right. I don't, you know, you know, say I'm a Southern gospel singer, but, but it's, it's, and I, and I'm not putting any Southern gospel singers down. So let me <laughs> put that disclaimer out there. Like, what you one of us. Yeah. So anyway, um, but yeah, so I'm proud of him. I'm so proud of him. Well, and you mentioned Bill Gaither because that's honestly, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but my mom took me to a Bill Gaither uh, homecoming concert. And there was this amazing vocalist that stood up on stage, and I go, "Man, she could be Michael Tate's sister." And turns out <laughs> you, you were. So <laughs> that brings up the question: How did you get hooked up with Bill? Because he's kind of opened some doors for you too, right? Yes, it's been really cool. And I have to I have to set all of this around this. My dad, as we were beginning to sing, and God was doing some amazing things, he always said, "It's in Proverbs as well." As the verse that says, you let the master of the house call you up to the high place. You don't put yourself in the presence of great men. And then, of course, your gift makes room for you and brings mm-hmm. you before great men. So we were taught that you you don't you just don't go around and try to make waves for yourself and let God open the doors. And I always ask people always ask, me, how'd you get with how'd you get with Gaither? Especially a lot of the young artists that I meet, like, like can you get this to Bill? Can you get this to Bill? Can yeah. you know? Yeah. And I always tell them, I say, well, you know. I'd share with them all the time. You get with God and God will, I promise you, he will get you with any and everybody he feels like you need to be with in order for his plans, you know, for for your life to be fulfilled while you're here in this life. But with on a more practical thing, um, I was invited back in um, 1989, the year I got married to my wonderful husband, Michael Randall. And um, I was invited uh, two months prior to our wedding to do an event a women's conference in Arizona. And it was Patsy Claremont was a speaker Mm, and Gloria Gaither. And it was all because somebody um, heard me, like I went out with some missionaries when I was about 16 years old to this same church in Arizona. It's a huge church in Arizona. And I'd gone to stay with these missionaries as a 16 year old kid. I wasn't even really singing at the time. 
And they had me come out and I got to learn things about missions and all that because I thought I was going to be going into that type of missionary work. Somewhere along the way, I started singing as that teenager. And these people remembered as one of those Joseph stories, you know, when he was down there in the dreamer, the whole thing, and it got out. They remember, oh, 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 wait, 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 wait. (laughs) There's a guy there. So literally that's what happened. Somebody said when they were looking for someone, they said, Hey, that little girl that came to stay with us so many years ago, um, she's, she sings now. And they said, really? And so as a 27-year-old woman now, yeah. they invited me to come and sing. And then I remember um, sitting there after I finished and Gloria said from the stage, oh, I love her and I want to take her home. And I thought, there is no way you're taking me home and you're just making up stuff and I'm not buying it. You know, I wasn't that gullible. My husband says I'm pretty gullible, but I said, I'm not going to believe that because, you know, this is, you're talking Miss Because He Lives and Miss He Touched Me. Yeah. What, what are they going to do with me, right? Yeah. And so I remember when it was over and she came backstage and she just started, I mean, like really speaking into my life, Dave, and saying profound things to me. And she said something I'll never forget. She used the terminology, you know, like keeping my nose clean, that God would have this, 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 and that. And I, and I remember wanting to make sure when I shared this, what was on my heart with her, that she understood I was not at all um, um, discounting what she meant about keeping my nose clean. But I wanted right. her to know I already had that lesson because here's the thing I told her. I said, Gloria, I really appreciate you saying that. And I'm going to share with you one of the reasons why I've already decided by the grace of God, I want to keep my air quotes nose clean is because my, uh, because of my relationship with the Lord. And I have that relationship because of my parents that I so love and I so respect, and I want to make them so very proud. And then I mentioned at the time that Dr. Fall had put me through college and I wanted to make sure that I didn't do anything that would cause any whatever, you know, I want to keep my nose clean because, you know, when people go out on a, on a limb and say, Hey, here world, I'm introducing this young girl, blah, blah. So I said that. And I said, so then if God allowed me to get with you and Bill, I said, I plan to keep doing that by the grace of God. So it wasn't like she'd said anything new to me as much as she was reminding me that, you know, um, I believe to whom much is given, Dave, much is required. And I pray for that Jesus humility every day, um, you know, uh, that I can just honor God and still, again, make my parents proud and make the Lord proud most of all. So yeah, it's pretty cool. And she took me uh, when I say it took me home that same year, I met Bill and I, I we were at the Jubilee. No, it was it was a, the um, Jubilate in Georgia. It was huge and, you know, thousands and thousands of people. And I meet Bill and I literally got in, shook his hand and, and then I literally got out of his face. I wasn't waiting for him to say anything or, you know, like whatever he would say, like, Hey, do you want to sing with the, you know, I was just so like nervous. I was like, hi, good to meet you. And I was gone. And then over the, about the next year to two years, that's all, like they said, the rest is history. It just all yeah. came together. It's pretty amazing. Very cool. Well, you've released a number of albums on his label. Now your most recent one being a Christmas album. Yes. And, uh, and anytime anybody releases a Christmas album, I want to ask, so how in the world do you choose which Christmas songs to include because there's only a, there's only two or three good ones, right? <laughs> yeah, you're right, exactly. But you know what? It's it's easy for me in this. First of all, there are a lot of Christmas songs, a lot of great Christmas songs. But I tell this to young singers as well. 
singing the wrong song with whatever kind of voice you're singing the wrong song, you just might as well, if your voice doesn't suit the song, you might as well just, just be planning for failure because if your voice doesn't fit, no matter how much you love a song, how popular it is, how great it sounds, if your voice isn't suited for it, it's going to be a disaster. It's not going to be good. And so I tend to choose songs that suit me well. And then people think like, oh, wow. I mean, you, you just sing anything. No, I don't just sing anything. It was so sweet. You said I can sing the dictionary, whatever. But that's really nice of you to think that. But uh, I have to say this little funny story. A Sherry Easter once came to me on the Christmas, uh, on, the, on, on the Gaither tours. And she said, she said, Linda, is there any color that you don't look great in. I'm like, every time you always have the right colors. I said, the colors that I don't look great in are the colors that you don't see me wear right. because I know what I don't look great in. So for <laughs> Christmas songs, I know the songs that suit my voice. And I must say, um, kind of critiquing my own voice. I think my voice is quite suited for Christmas music. Not that I can't yeah. sing anything else, but because of the low tones and all that kind of stuff, it, it seems to marry well with Christmas music. And so it, it makes it pretty easy in that sense. But there were some that I wanted to dabble, you know, in and with that, that well, no, I don't want to do any injustice. Yeah. So I'll leave it alone. But it, it was it was fun, though. And there were some that I still want to record. So who knows? There might be a, another record in a few years or so. Good Lord willing. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll, t- I'll tell my listeners right now. Um, I got an advanced copy of the album because of this interview. And I, I have this the Christmas album I've been listening to over and over and over and over again. It's definitely worth yeah. a listen. So. Wow. Thank yeah. you so much, Dave. Thank you. Well, yeah. let's talk a little bit. You're, you're obviously very outspoken about your faith, and I love that, and about mm-hmm. life in the Christian community. But to be that passionate about something you believe in, start somewhere. So right. would you be willing to share about how you came to a personal relationship with Jesus? I know you grew up yes. in a Christian home. Yes. But when did when did Jesus become your relationship? Yes, that's really good. Well, yes, of course, my dad led me to Jesus at our, uh, at our kitchen table. I was about 12 years old. And I've often said that he was my savior then, but not my Lord, because I didn't even know what lordship was all about. And I remember, Mm. you know, at one point I thought we could lose our salvation for people who still feel that way. Then it's okay; It's not a deal breaker. I still love you guys. Hope you love me. (laughs) But I was I was losing my salvation every other day because I would tell a lie or I would do something. My siblings would go back and forth. I go, well, I'm not saved anymore. Go, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. but it really was um, when I was 16 when I got put in this Christian school, um, 16, 17, whatever. And I heard a missionary, Brom Kowser, speak from Venezuela, and he was so passionate about his commitment and relationship to Christ and winning the lost souls to Christ and what they were doing. I thought, oh my lands. I said. That's that's what I want. I want to be a missionary. I really want to give my all. And so he challenged uh, those of us who were in the audience that day to um, recommit our lives to Christ. And I came down to the altar and I said, Lord, I completely surrender my life to you. I want you to have lordship of my life. It was no longer my parents' faith. It was my own faith. Yeah. And I embraced that. And I remember just really, you know, having family, my, my own personal devotions reading the Bible and praying and, and more on a regular basis. And, you know, my dad having to tell me to 
getting the word and all that kind of stuff. But it was, it was my, it was my own thing. And so, um, a few years ago I was, um, when, um, Dr. Robert Schuler was alive, um, uh, here on this earth, yeah. he, I was invited to do the crystal cathedral. And one of the things that he asked was something similar to what you're asking. And I, and I mentioned Brom Kauser and I said, I don't know if this, this, um, dear man is still here on this earth, whatever. And I got a sweet email from him. Um, and I got to thank him in my adult years for pouring into my life as a 16 year old kid, Dave. And it was, it came full circle. I like, thank you, Brom Gowser. And he probably had no idea the impact that that I've shared the story, like more times than you could count or imagine. Um, but that is, that is how I really came to like, okay, it's, it's gotta be my relationship with Christ and not the relationship that my parents have with Christ. It's Linda's relationship with Christ. Well, and that's a beautiful story because it talks about the community that Christ puts us into and, and is paving our ways. When we say we're willing to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We're going to trust that he's going to put us in the right places and hear from the right people. Yes, that's exactly what happened in my life. Of course, there are other people, you know, pivotal places in my in my walk with the Lord that were life changing, and you know, um, and I. But I do know for me that changed the whole trajectory of my um, of my Christian walk, my Christian faith, and and I'm I've just I embraced it, and I'm, but I'm, I think I'm just so thankful that I had a chance to say thank you to this dear, dear guy, you know, that um, I only met him that one time. I mean, just, can you imagine that Dave, that one time, that was just, just one encounter. But for me, I was sitting there listening and it was, um, and I'm saying white because it's relevant, but he's, he was a white missionary and I was in a sea of white kids in this predominantly white Christian school, maybe a couple other people of color, whatever. And to have an impact on a kid like that from the hood, from the inner city, which I could have bought into the lie, which being honest, growing up, there were some people who um, literally, the, you know, you can't trust the white man. Um, he's the blue eyed devil. I heard all that kind of craziness, but because of the love that my parents had for Christ, my parents had for the human race and taught us to love people, no matter the color of their skin, I was able to receive from this guy this life-changing message and, uh, and, and to grab a hold of it and, and embrace it. And it was, it, it, it just literally changed the entire uh, trajectory of my life. So when you say it changed the trajectory of your life, what does that look like? Well, I, I don't think that surrender for me, it was, a, it was more than, okay, God, I'm coming out. Okay. And not like I'm even getting saved again, but I just think, um, it opened my heart to the possibilities of God using me any which way. Cause I, I just, I just surrender right there. I, I said to the Lord, I'll never forget however you want to use me at that time. I just begin to sing, but again, I was in fashion designing and cosmetology mm-hmm. and I was very gifted with my hands and things. And I just like, however you want to use me now. I did. I have to tell you, I did have a moment where I went off into a daydream after I surrendered that I was going to be running through the jungles of Africa. I had this safari suit on and this <laughs> giant print Bible telling people, telling the natives that Jesus saves, you know, that yeah. was my, that was my creative mind. But, but no, I, I feel like it helped to open the door for me. Um, even in cross-cultural ministry, I became a missionary to white America. I believe it started 
it in that moment. Like it literally started at that moment. I never dreamed that I would be in this community as long as I've been in this community, uh, this culture. And so I, it could have, it could have been some other way. And sure, I could have been at any other church. I could have been at a predominantly right. black church. I could have heard the black, you know, and maybe it would have said, hey, you know, go this way. It could have been that God could have done anything. But I think for me, it set me on a course for peace, bridge building, reconciliation. It was pretty amazing. One of the reasons that this podcast exists today is because of COVID and because of some yeah. of the stuff that's happened. I've kind of, the picture that's come to me is that we live in a very, very divided country. Yes. And it doesn't matter if it's politics, if it's yeah. race, if it's mask or no mask, if it's, we just don't find that unity that yeah. comes in community. Because, you know, unity is the middle of the word community. Yes. So, and you mentioned it as you were talking about being a, mis a, a black missionary to white society. Yeah. What does this look like for you as you're sharing with, with your, because you, you minister in a largely Christian world. Yeah. Yes. But we're still divided. Yes. Yes. My world in black and white. I mean, how much time do we have? <laughs> so I can tell you. Oh my word, Dave. I don't even know where to start. Let me just let me just start by saying first, if my heart aches as a mere finite human being mortal, God's heart must be broken. Like he ah. it, he must be weeping because of the disunity in the family of God. I'm not talking about the world. I'm not, I'm not even, we're, we're not even, that's not even in my, my, my thoughts right now. Part, well, I, I am thinking about the world in this. If we're the only picture of heaven and of Christ and of love that yeah. the world is going to see, we must look like something pretty bad, awful to the world yeah. right now. Because I have never experienced a time in my all of my life where I have seen this disunity in the body of Christ and people who have, you know, like, you know, if, if you're a Democrat, you can't be saved. If you're a Republican, you can't be saved. If you vote here, if you did this, if you wear a mask, you know, like you said, it is, it is crazy. And I'm thinking, what, what are we really willing to sacrifice for that unity? And I'll be honest and not to even be political one way or the other, there, there is not one politician, Democratic or Republican, that's going to get me in such a state where I'm going to be um, discounting that unity that God's asked us to have as right. His kids in the body. I'm not willing, Dave. I'm not willing to sacrifice that. But sadly, some of my friends have sacrificed it, yes. and yeah. and their ob obedience to. The, the Democratic Party or the Republican, I'm like, what our obedience is not even to a flag. It's yeah. to God and it's to Christ alone. And so I am so passionate about like being this voice of, of reason and this voice of hope and this voice of peace and this voice of unity. Um, I had a dream many, many years ago after my dad had passed. I was a daddy's girl and so loved yeah. my dad, loved my mom too very much. But I remember in this particular dream, I was going to um, get an interview for a job in this dream. And so I get to the place where I'm interviewing and I'm there in front of the executive's desk and I'm sit I'm sitting down and then all of a sudden the executive comes in and it's my father and he's sitting on the other side. Oh wow. And he looks at me and I'm and he tells me that I didn't get the job that I came to apply for. 
But and my nickname was Chubb and will always be Chubb, C-H-U-B-B. He calls me, he said, Chubb, baby, Chubb, baby. So he looked at me and he said, Chubb, baby, you're going to be my peacemaker. And I will never forget that as long as I live. I know even if I had not had the dream, I'm in the middle of seven kids in the birth order. I got it from both sides. And, and even to this day, I'm always trying to make peace. If you talk to my siblings, they will tell you <laughs> Linda's the one that will try to, you know, bring it all together and all. So I'm thinking, you know, like when, if you had siblings growing up, anybody listening, you know what it's like with siblings, yep. you'll have moments where you'll fight and you're not getting along and it's not a good situation. And then you get on the outside of your house and some bully out there is trying to bother you or trying to trouble you or trying to fight you, all of a sudden, all of the unrest and all of the confusion, all of the, you know, like fighting and squabbling as siblings inside of the house, all of a sudden we unify and we're like, we all go out to run the bully off because (laughs) no matter what, we are family. And so I'm waiting for that moment where we're going to tell this old bully, the devil, like, go away. We are standing as the body of believers. We're going to fight in the name of Jesus. And there is nothing, there's no one worth sacrificing the unity. And you hear my voice getting higher and higher because (laughs) I'm so very passionate about um, God's people being one, the family of God. And he said, he's coming back for this church that doesn't have a spot or wrinkle. He's coming back for this, the, the, the one, the, 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 the one church, you know, and yeah. it's, it's like, we've got a long way to go. And so whether for me, it's a song, if it's a spoken word, I'm going to do what I can do to facilitate peace and unity in the body of Christ. And I tell you what, um, I'm not going to be on anybody's platform sharing anything political in the sense of, oh, if you vote here, you should vote here. That's You're not going to hear that from me. I, I know there are people who want to state reasons why they should vote for one, but that's just not me. My my job, I believe, is to um, help facilitate peace in the body of Christ and to um, uh, just be a peacemaker. Yes. So, so let's talk about that, because obviously the church is on the decline in America, and I personally believe that's because the church is not an attractive thing to go to right now. And so how do we, uh, how do you see that reconciliation among the ranks of Christians of coming together and saying, you know what, we are really on the same side. Why are we fighting about the color of the carpet or the mask or no mask or whatever the issue is? Where do we start? I mean, that's a huge problem. Yeah. You know what? I think, Dave, honestly, I just did a message, a virtual message to a group of ladies at a women's conference a few weeks ago. And the topic was, guess who's coming to dinner? And um, for those of you who don't know that movie with, uh, I think it's Catherine Hepburn and and, um, Sydney Portier, um, she was bringing home, a a white woman was bringing home a black man to dinner and her parents were like, whoa, you're not ready for this. So it's not like talking about bringing home a black or white, whatever. And it's okay if you do, in my opinion, I, I don't think God cares about that at all. But the point is, we should have more people at our dinner table, our lunch table, our, you know, when we go to that lunch break on our jobs, we should be sitting down with more people, Dave, that don't look like us, talk like us, come from the same side of the tracks as us, and willing to have those hard conversations. Because I believe if we just start talking, I mean, really talking about the hard stuff, a lot of this hate and all of this um, animosity and all these things that we see on social media, 
it wouldn't even have an opportunity to get to those platforms because guess what? I'm sitting down with a Hispanic brother or sister. I'm sitting down with a white brother. I'm hitting the Asian. I'm sitting down with the first nation person. And I'm, I'm talking like, okay, so, okay. So excuse my ignorance, but here's what I'm hearing about your culture. Can you tell me, is this true? Is it not true? Why is it not true? Is it, you know, help me and not be afraid to have those conversations. So that's where we need to, that's where we need to start. And then it's like, literally we can adopt families. We can adopt when I mean that, like not physically going out paper, judge court, but like, okay, so you know, I don't have any white families in my life. So let me not just go out in the street, but it's like, you know, it, it needs to happen organically, of course, yeah. you know. And I always say, I tell my kids, you don't want to bring home an ax murderer, you know. So <laughs> you make sure you're praying about that. But literally finding ways that you can be in communities that are not like the communities that you currently live in. I always tell some of my friends that, um, my white friends that want to know, I say, look, if you, why don't you start your kids, you know, they can start reading books really early on about other cultures. Mm-hmm. And so when they get to these, when my daughters were in the predominantly white Christian school, uh, they like myself experience some of this kind of like, we've never seen you before. We don't really, you know, know how to um, deal with this kind of, uh, uh, you know, integration or whatever and all that kind of stuff. And so we, we had to manage a few things, but it wasn't crazy. Um, but if these parents were teaching their kids early on and even black parents, Hispanic parents, tell your kids that there are other people in the world um, that don't look like them yeah. um, so that they can really, really understand that before they're teenagers, before they're adults, you know, and then it's not going to be cultural shock yeah. when somebody comes in your neighborhood and they don't look like you and you're going like, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. So <laughs> those are just some, and there I've got all kinds of practical things. I've got, you know, um, you know, books and there are movies you can watch. I mean, good, good, legitimate things we can do, but it really boils down to, boils down to just starting the talks, having the conversations, guess who's coming to dinner, what's your dinner table look like? I mean, literally like any given day, any given week, um, you can, you can come to our home and you go, wow, they had that. Wow. It's not Linda Randall, the singer. I mean, if he was a girl, right. because you sing, who wouldn't want to be at your table? But no, we, we literally, we love having a diverse uh, body of, of, of people that we gather with from time to time, because there's so much to glean yeah. from that community, that type of community. And then, then the book of Nehemiah, um, he literally fed 150 people every single night outside of the Jewish people that he fed. Uh, fed, Mm -hmm. but there were people from surrounding nations that would come to dinner. And I just imagine like being in that setting and the conversations (laughs) that were had and things that people thought and maybe didn't say or what, you know, but it's like, it's community. That's where it is, Dave. It's community. Well, you know, and the story that comes to my mind, Jesus told of the, of the King who made this big banquet and invited all his buddies and nobody came. Yes. And so what did the king say? He said, go out and find anybody. I don't care. Yes. Look under the yes. bushes, look in the shrubs, go find yes. people that are different than us and yes. bring them here and let's ha- let's have a communication. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That is the that is the point. And it's funny, and you just enlightened. First, I know that's in the Bible, but as much as I've taught on guess who's coming to dinner, I have not used that reference point. So I will be adding it to my message. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's a really good one too. That's really, really good. But yeah, it's, it's so important. And, but sometimes people are just, we, you, you, you must admit, we are comfortable in our own surroundings, familiar right. surroundings. You know, you, you get my jokes and you get my, you know, movie preferences or book preferences, whatever you get my, 
you know, but I remember in college when we would go into the lunchroom to eat any given day, it was all the white kids here, all the black kids here, Liberty University. And I intentionally, when I walked in, I went straight over to my white friends' tables Mm -hmm. and I would just sit and I would talk and I go, hey guys, what is up with this? I mean, it was like, it was the unspoken, unwritten law that you need to sit with your own. I mean, that is just so ridiculous. And I think we need, we need to stop that. And we need to be sensitive to um, the the needs of other uh, uh, others. And I, I have an article here I don't even, I don't know, know this guy, but one of my white sister friends um, sent this article to me and it was really, really powerful. And I have to tell people um, as a disclaimer for anything, and that is when you really want to read about other people's cultures and really get it and really be sensitive and understand, be empathetic, you have to take off your rose colored glasses because Mm -hmm. you, you cannot go with this attitude. Like I look, that's well that you feel that way. That's not my problem. You know, so I don't really care, but you have to come to the table thinking, you know, I want to come to to glean. I want to come to learn. I want to be better when I leave this table. I want to be better. But this guy's name is John C. Richards Jr. And he wrote, it's, it's called a letter to my white friend. And it's about a three minute read. It's pretty powerful. And it's, I can tell you being black all my life, most of my friends, that's the, that's the same feeling and sense that most of them have. There are a few black folks that think differently, you know, whatever. But for the most part, um, this is, I would think he's correct in this. It's called a letter to my white friend and it's really powerful. And um, I, I just think that we just really need to just continue just having the hard, uh, hard conversations. And I, I think that's where the healing is going to begin. And then we need to, you know, like, Hey, ask for forgiveness. I'm saying, I'm not talking about, you know, you know, reparations and, you know, owing me money and all this. And, and I'm not, I'm not even going there at all. I'm saying where we are right now, not for what your forefather did or what my forefather or foremother did nothing. I'm saying where we are today, yeah. what do we need to confess today? What are your thoughts about me? What are my thoughts about you? What have I believed because of what I've seen on television or what I've read in some magazine or whatever? You know, what have I believed? So let's start there and then and let the healing begin there. So what I'm hearing you say, so like basketball players hang out with basketball players, football yeah. players hang out with football players. I'm, yeah. And I'm intentionally trying to use something that's kind of benign. Yes. We tend to hang out with people like ourselves. And so what I'm yes. hearing you say is let's be intentional about yes. crossing the street. It yes. might be taking a short-term mission trip to a foreign country. Yes. It might be going to a black church on a white, yes. if you're a white person, going yes. to a black church and worshiping yes. there, but uh-huh. intentionally making space to say, I want to see what the uh, what my friends my co-believers are yes. going through Ab- absolutely and that is so and, I, and that's actually in some of my notes that i don't have in front of me but that's one of my things is take your kids to an all black or an all white or hispanic i mean just go to see how other people worship to see how they you know serve their lord and everything and i think that is a that's that's a that's a big one right there um dave and, and it's so easy to to like you know, if, if I'm a, if I'm a black person that joins a predominantly white church, sometimes people think that like, you go and you have to assimilate. Like I've got to be like you know the white folks, and I've got to you know just you know worship the way they worship. I'm thinking, no, I I, I I'm not going to assimilate. And I, I tell people all the time the sameness 
um, one, this isn't sameness because we're, you know, we are different. God created us different. And my good friend, Nicole C. Mullen, you know, who wrote the, the, the song, I Know My Redeemer Lives, she says all the time that our skin may describe us, but it doesn't define us. And yep. I've said many times that when we um, accept Christ as our Savior, I said he washes away our sin, not our skin. And people yes. tend to believe because you come to know Jesus all of a sudden, like I've had people come up to me, Dave, many times at the concerts, girl, I don't see you as, I don't see you as black, I was, but I am black and yeah. it's okay. Is that a problem? You know what I'm saying? So you, you, they feel like when you're so full of the love of Jesus that, you know, no, God, he, he doesn't make issue with color, but he made us all of these varieties of colors for a reason yep. because we're beautiful together, more beautiful than we are apart. And so I think um, that's what we need to keep front and center in the body. And it, it I'm sorry, but I'm going to get like, I think it takes a pretty wimpy mind um, of a, a person, a man or woman to just want to be around people who just think like you. Yes, yes, people. You want everybody to mm. think like you, do what you do, buy what you buy, eat yep. what you eat. I'm like, you like sushi. I don't care for sushi. I like shrimp. You don't like shrimp. You like burgers. I don't eat red meat. You like pizza. I don't like the crust. I don't, you know, it's okay. If you're a Republican, I'm a Democrat. If I'm, I'm not saying I'm a Democrat. So to quote me, and I'm not a Republican, I'm not even putting that out there. But if people say that back and forth, if you are, uh, um, What's the other one? Uh, in, independent or whatever. I'm independent. I'm, you know, it's, it's it's okay to be around people that are different, yep. and you can learn so 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 very much. But it takes a pretty weak mind um, to just want to just be like, well, you know what? I, I just want to stay in my little safe bubble. Everything for me is blue or it's red or it's whatever, you know. And uh, that's how it's going to be. That's pretty sad. Well, I think of the fact that God made each of us with a different fingerprint. Yes. So if we have a different fingerprint, don't you think there's a possibility that we might have different talents? We I might think... have different colors of skin. We yeah. might have different um, likes and dislikes. So yeah, I think I think God, I, Toby and, well, the DC Talk Boys said it well, God is a God of diversity. And he's not colorblind. People, I said, you know, the, I said, God, why, why do you want God to be colorblind? Because then he would have to ignore his beautiful sunset. Yeah. He, to get the field of flowers and lilies and all the beautiful creation that he's created, he would have to just basically really turn that blind eye. But God is colorful. I have a friend, Dorina Williams, that wrote these kids' book series, colorful, full of color. Um, and and that's, that's just so beautiful. And I just think, you know, people do want to see things in black and white. And like I was saying, I do have a world when I say my world in black and white, literally meaning me being in more of the white communities, being a woman of color, but not to um, limit it to black and white, you know, yeah. of course not that, but, but I, God is very colorful and I think it's, oh. it's beautiful. And we need to, we, we need to get on with, with, with um, just, being about what Christ is called to be about. And that's, he prayed in John 17 that we might be one. And uh, the enemy has done everything and continues to do everything he can to divide the body. And there's not one human being on this planet worth that division to Amen. me. I'm not willing to sacrifice that for, for anybody. Um, and um, my loyalty is to God and Christ alone, and um, and I'm supposed to walk in um, Jesus' humility toward my brother and mm -hmm. sister, and they don't look like me. It's all good. I mean, we're all going 
gone to the same um, Lord's heaven if we know Christ is our Savior. So that's pretty awesome. We send out a newsletter every Saturday asking folks to pray for the musicians that we listen to. How can we be praying for Linda in the weeks ahead of us? You know what? Pray for pray for wisdom as I we're navigating some new waters. I'm I've always kind of spoken in between my songs and things and all and and but I'm getting more invites to actually speak, 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> like messages, praying, and then also working on a, a new project. Um, just asking the Lord to lead us there. Uh, my brother Mike and I are even talking about some different things. It's not newsboys. It won't be Gaither, but it's going to be good place that we can marry our gifts um, as brother and sister. And so pray for that. And then, um, of course, for me, it's always just pray that I will follow the heart of God, that I will follow his lead um, in my life. And um, as I serve as my husband's uh, Wife, uh, our church is Mosaic Bible Fellowship in Kansas City, Missouri, and I'm pastor's wife, and that's another whole, um, another whole life there, you know. And that the Lord will continue to bless uh, Mosaic, and then our daughters, patience and joy, that the Lord will bless them as well. So that'll give them something to pray for for a while. What a rich conversation. I will admit that this year I've done a lot of struggling with my response to the social unrest around race. You've heard me speak in previous episodes about the sadness I have around the division in our world right now, around all kinds of topics. I really wrestled with, what can I do? How can I make a change? How do I work to build reconciliation in a bitterly divided culture? I really appreciate Linda's encouragement for us to be intentional about listening to each other. I also loved her statement that Jesus is not colorblind. In fact, to be colorblind means you miss the beauty of his creation, the color of the sunset, the variety in trees, and, yes, the uniqueness of every person. During our conversation, Linda mentioned the letter from John C. Richards, Jr., and I'm going to share the link to that article in the show notes because I think it's a very powerful document. One phrase that jumped out to me in John's letter was for us to, quote, stop inviting people to our table, but rather go sit at theirs. I think we as Christians need to work double time to learn what it looks like to sit at the table of people we don't understand or don't agree with. Whether it is race or politics or social orientation or anything else that could divide us, we need to really listen to people and find out how they're feeling. And then we need to ask God to help us respond in appropriate ways, in ways that he wants us to. And I'm pretty sure that that response includes a lot more listening, a lot more love and caring, and probably a lot less preaching and arguing. Well, that wraps up today's podcast. Thanks for joining in the conversation today. If you found this episode helpful or encouraging, would you mind rating it on your favorite podcast app? Or maybe you could share the episode on your social media site or your blog. You are the marketing department of this podcast, so every five-star rating and every share helps spread the news about this little endeavor. Thanks so much. I really look forward to hanging out with you again next week. I've got another great episode all lined up and ready for you. 
So until we hang out again, remember this, God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you.